Ephesians 4 is where we're going to go today, and I want to talk as we finish this series on the chaos of conflict. It's about relationships. And one of the things interesting about reading through your Bible, whether Old or New Testament, is that in spite of all the years that have separated us in millenniums, in spite of differences between cultures, when you read the stories of individuals and spiritual advice given by King David or Solomon or Jesus or any of the apostles, you see that in most of the ways, their experience is not a lot different than ours, especially when it comes to interpersonal relationships, getting along with people, you know, getting along with family. I'm saying that back then they had a hard time getting along with one another, just the same as we have a hard time getting along with one another now. Not much different. I'm not talking about just conflict between nations, although that's real. And I'm not talking about conflict just between neighbors. I'm talking about marital conflict, family conflict, friendship conflict, church fellowship conflict. It's a problem that transcends time and it jumps over all cultural boundaries and races. We're prone to chaos in our relationships with one another. Some are better at getting along with others than other people, but it's a challenge everybody has to face from time to time because all of us have experienced it. The thing about relational conflict, it's got the power to make every other problem seem insignificant in comparison. Relational conflict has the power to dominate your life like none other. Just ask anybody who's been through a divorce, you know, drama, uh, emotional fatigue, chaos. Ask anybody who's had to deal with a rebellious teenager. Yeah, some of you with your precious little toddlers, buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) Your day's coming. Just ask anybody who's ever experienced the betrayal of a friend or a business partner, and we could go on and on and on. Do you remember way back, and you really have to go back, us football fans, to the golden days when the Dallas Cowboys won two Super Bowls in a row? Can you imagine? And owner Jerry Jones responded by firing the head coach, Jimmy Johnson, because they couldn't get along. They had been lifelong friends, but the rift between them became too great to repair. And Jones said this, I would rather miss the playoffs for the next several decades than work with this guy. Well, well, Jerry, it appears you got your wish, and it doesn't look much better now. Well, that's how, that's how chaotic conflict can be. When we get embroiled in conflict, we have a tendency to cut off our nose to spite our face. And when that happens, both sides lose. So we have a tendency to create conflict unnecessarily. Then we have a tendency to nurture it, feed it, water it, give it lots of sunlight until it grows finally to become self-sustaining and we're no longer able to resolve the thing. It doesn't have to be that way. So this morning, as we conclude this series, let me give you four ways we can minimize conflict. Notice I didn't say eliminate it. That's not possible but we can minimize conflict. Would you agree? You can bring it down. You can do better. All of us can do better and improve. And we want to do that in our relationships with one another. These four keys eliminate a lot of the conflict in your life. Not all, but a lot of it. And even the one you can't eliminate, you can at least tone it down. And for the big, big conflicts, it'll get you on the right track to at least the best possible resolution of conflict. 
So in Ephesians 4, Paul talks a great deal about church unity. The church in Ephesus, just like every other church on the planet, anywhere, anytime. They had conflict to deal with, and they had to learn to get along with one another. What Paul said to them, he would say to us today. And these are the steps to take to build unity in your relationships. And there are four of them. Pretty simple. Number one, try to speak empowering truth. Verse 25, Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We're one family spiritually. And a few verses before, verse 15, Paul says we should be speaking the truth in love. A few verses later, verse 29, he said, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. In the King James, unwholesome talk is translated corrupt communication. Now, I've heard people talk about speaking the truth as though it always had to be harsh and always had to be confrontational and it had to lead to conflict. They think that speaking the truth is taking a knife and driving it into somebody's chest. That, that is not what it means. It, it's not getting in somebody's face to tell them what they are doing wrong, how they are wrong. That's not what it means. So I remember, this is years ago, a married couple told me about a conflict they had uh, during the honeymoon stage after marriage. And they're, they're still, when this happened, they're still newlyweds. And this was their first big argument. During the conflict, the wife said to the husband, I am sick of you. I'm sorry I ever married you. I wish I could go back to the first time you asked me out on a date because I would say no this time. <laughs> well, joy to the world. That's going to be nice. <laughs> that officially ended the honeymoon phase. And the husband was crushed by her words. And again and again and again, he said, he heard them ringing in their ears years later. I'm sick of you. Now, the wife said, I didn't really mean it. It wasn't really true. I spoke without thinking. Have you ever done that? Yeah. It's like, don't aim, shoot. You know, ready, shoot, aim. It, it's too late. This is where a lot of conflict starts. When we say things that aren't true, but we say them with the intent to hurt. This is one kind of falsehood Paul's trying to tell us, stop it once and for all. The wife said, it was several years ago when this happened, he needs to let it go. Well, maybe she has a minor point, but the major point is to make it your objective never to speak words that somebody has to get over, even with your children. I remember uh, early in our church, way, way back years and years ago, we had a seminar in a hotel on inner healing and letting go of hurts in the past. And an Episcopal priest came, was just sobbing, but bawling. We had to get him a towel. It was so bad. And I never will forget what he said. He said, I, I was a teenage boy. I was trying to saw something for my father. He grabbed the saw out of my hand, and he said what he said many times, you can't do anything right. And he said, I've grown up now at 57 years of age with that voice ringing in my ear all the time, you can't do anything right. So be careful that you never with your children or with a friend or, or family, married couples, don't say anything like that that's final. 
You're going to sow the seed to destruction in any relationship. You have to phrase it differently. You don't say, you always lie. No, Gloria, that was a lie. We don't lie in this home. I can remember my mother saying that to me. We don't behave that way. We don't talk that way. But she never said to me, you always, you never. Those are words that have pain in them and can really do deep wounds that affect you later as an adult. Don't tell the love of your life you're sorry you ever met them. Instead, you're not going to go out on a date, that's for sure. Instead, speak the truth, but do it in love. Drop the tone of your voice. Think about what you're going to say. Be positive about something that is good, but to say, that hurt. That, that was irresponsible. The tone of how we say what we say can make a big difference in what we say. Would you agree? Speak, speak the truth in a wholesome, uplifting, edifying way. Which brings us to the next step in conflict resolution, and that is deal with your anger before it takes over your life. Deal with anger before it takes over your life. Two weeks ago on a 103-degree afternoon in San Antonio, I'm on Highway 281, my favorite, driving north back to the office when my tire pressure light came on with the noise it makes, and it flashed on my dash panel, and I immediately thought, bumper to bumper, dear God, let me make it to discount tire. It's just a mile and a half up there, and I, I could already feel something was wrong. And I didn't want to get flat on a busy highway in a hundred degree heat. Would you? I didn't change that tire. I, I made it on a wing and a prayer. A lot of prayer, not much wing. The tire was split on the side, totally destroyed when I stopped. I had it changed immediately. Now, let me tell you something. Your anger is a warning signal that something needs to be dealt with. In fact, any negative emotion in me or you is a warning signal, blop, 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 something needs to be dealt with. Anytime I see a red light on my dash, I'm going to deal with it. Ladies, if you're driving the family car and the red light comes on, pull over. <laughs> Call your husband. Call a male friend. And he'll tell you, where is it? What does it say? What, what's it associated with? Don't drive it till the car quits. Pull over. <laughs> I say that to a few people in here that I know that the red light, doesn't matter if it's green, yellow, they're going to drive on. Doesn't matter till the car quits. It's a warning to, to give it attention. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, don't sin. You can be angry and sin not. That's okay. Being angry is a normal human response. It's the sin with it that's the problem. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. See, when you're mad at somebody, you got to deal with it because nothing good is going to come out while you're mad. And the closer that person is to you in relationship, the sooner you need to resolve it. That's a takeaway point. Real close relationships need more immediate attention. If somebody in the lobby suddenly gets mad at me, that ain't nearly as important as if my wife gets mad at me or one of my children comes up to me. Would you agree? That gives, that's, that's more serious. The further away someone is from you, the less serious that might be. But you don't let it fester. And that's an ugly word, fester. It designates what happens to a wound that's never cleaned. It gets, in, it gets infected. It isn't properly dealt with. And it, pu it putrefies. Gross. 
Nasty, huh? Smells bad. The same thing happens with your relationships if you don't deal with your anger in a timely manner. Paul says that ignoring your anger gives a foothold to the devil, and the devil isn't going to bring anything good into your life. In dealing with your anger, you have a couple of options, of course. One is you can come to the conclusion, maybe I'm making something out of nothing here. And I've learned that over the years, too, even with your kids. You don't have to have World War III over something that isn't that significant. Calm down. I think I'm a better parent now at this age with my grandchildren than I was with my children. Anybody in that category feel the same way? Yeah, and I realized everything I was stressed about wasn't really that important. I didn't need to have a a, a major shotgun for what a water pistol would have done. But young, immature, overreacting. And so that was something else I have to say. Am I overreacting? Maybe I can ignore what the other person said or did. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that important. Everything is not crisis important. Sometimes you can just ignore it. Let it go. Anybody stay married, you got to let it go sometimes. Just don't even respond. Don't say anything. Yeah, that's right. Might not talk for a few years, but you just don't say anything. <laughs> or you could think, maybe I'm making this all about me and my ego and my pride, and I need to be a little less self-important. There are some who go through life taking resentment at everything and being offended at everything. Dear God, I would hate to have to come home to you. What a drama queen. Everything? How could we work together? Everything offends you. You're on social media. You're reading the paper. You're listening to every newscast. And you're just filled with drama spewing it out. I don't want to be near you. Right? I want to walk in a life of peace and somewhat happiness with my brothers and my sisters and people who are my close friends. See? I don't like the way he looked at me. I don't like the way he spoke to me. I wonder what he meant by that. Probably nothing. That person said something on Facebook I don't like. I'm going to set them straight. Oh, great. And you will not change their mind when you lash out with your truth, and it goes back and forth and back and forth, and you don't change anybody. You just destroy the potential. You'd rob yourself of peace, and if you, if you are a friend or you're a part of the spiritual family, you, you pretty well separate yourself from that person. That's a, that's a terrible thing to do. Some of you need to shut up on Facebook and Instagram, and you're not setting anybody right. You know, uh, you'd have to agree. Everybody that comes to a church, generally, generally, comes from a different background, a different race, a different culture, a different time. And we've all been touched by our friends, our family, our relatives, and the culture you and I were brought up in. It marked us. Now, as God's Word washes us, I hope we're able to wash out anything that was negative or, or wrong, just wrong. And, you know, I came out of the South. I had to wash a lot of redneck out of me with God's Word. I'm still being transformed. I don't carry that into church or in my relationships. There's no Jew, no Gentile, no bond, no free, no male, no female, no American, Italian, African American in Christ. Knock it off. I don't, I don't hate you. I don't dislike you. I won't patronize you. I won't cheat you. I won't treat you unfairly, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. 
I'll be respectful and kind to anybody and everybody. I don't care if you work in a strip club or you, you run a car dealership. You're still going to be treated fairly, responsibly, like Jesus. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. But today we've just got emotions of hate going on. And if you disagree with somebody, instead of saying, I, I think you're wrong, no, I think you're evil. That's horrible. I don't know that I, of all my friends, I don't know if we agree on everything. I haven't asked. But I love my friends. How many of you married agree with your wife on everything? You chicken, come on, I don't. <laughs> my wife likes to drive the speed limit, I don't. <laughs> okay, I was trying to think of other things, but you're married, you could come up with it and do better than me probably. Most of the time, but not every time, but most of the time when I'm offended and huffy about something, I know the person who needs to change the most is me. It, it may be very well for you. Jesus says, great peace who love thy law, nothing shall offend them. If you love God's word, you ought to be less offendable about things, less reactionary about it. You got to work at this a little bit. Remember, it's not perfect, but you got to work at it. Now, when that happens, you can pull back a little bit, give yourself some perspective and say, I refuse to make a big deal about something that isn't a big deal. I'm going to let this go. See, here's a takeaway. You put this on your Twitter or Instagram. Conflict cannot survive without your participation. Conflict cannot survive without your participation. You know, where there's no wood, Proverbs says, the fire goes out. Quit throwing logs on the fire. Stop it. A soft answer turns away wrath. Drop your voice, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's a boss and an employee. Lower the tone. That's a way you can control it and take the heat out of it. Be gentle, even when you have to rebuke and when you have to confront something. Soften it. Don't be aggressive and loud and accusatory. It won't help. It just gets worse. Now, you can't do this every time emotions are out of control because sometimes a situation is so serious, you've got to deal with it head on. And it's not about ignoring it. It's about resolving it together. That's my goal. Let's resolve this together. See, when there exists a serious conflict between people, now what do you do? You go back to square one of this morning's message. You sit down with that person, look them straight in the eye, and you speak empowering truth. You speak that truth in love trying to be helpful, not accusatory. You speak in a wholesome, uplifting manner, even if the topic is tense, even if they're completely in the wrong. You don't lash out. You don't attack. You don't aim for the juggler. You speak the truth in love. And even with your children or teenagers, believe me, even when it looks like they're not listening, they're listening. They're listening. Be sure when you're upset and angry, you can drop your tone. My wife can do that, did that with our girls coming up a lot better than I did about how to gently talk to them. And I've caught on, I think, a little bit and dropping my tone too in dealing even with the grandchildren. Just, well, I'm a strong personality, so I have to buckle that down and not get a wedgie and be reactionary. Yeah, I'm no, I'm no diplomat. I'm not a pro at this. I'm pretty good in some things, but not everything. And I am have to learn to do this just like you do. I'm not perfect at it either. But you want to resolve it as quick as possible before the sun goes down. Now, please, that, that's not 
that just means do it quick. Because if it was like five minutes to sundown, you might not be able to resolve it that quick. It just means get on it and deal with it promptly. You may have to make a phone call, write a letter, send an email, take responsibility. It's really important for you. I remember having to call my, not having to, but wanting to deal with unforgiveness and bitterness towards my military father. And I was in a Bible study with James Robinson. We had a, a teacher who was there. And I remember whatever subject he was on, it struck me really hard in the heart. It wasn't about him. It was about me. And God says, I want you to forgive this person, but it's not for their benefit. It's for your benefit, Rick, because you're an open door to the enemy with hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. And I hated my father. I mean, we were, I think he was divorced five times and we were handed to different relatives and there were many other manipulative things. And my, you know, I'm, I'm either up or I'm down one or the other. I, I love love or I can hate hate. It, there's no in-between. What you get is what you see. And I remember I said, I've got to deal with this for the sake of my family, my children, and me. That's what God said. It's not about him. It's about you. So I called him. And I never forget that back then dialing that number. I, I would have rather gone to the electric chair than dial that number. Because now I'm going to take the low road to somebody who's guilty. That just doesn't seem right. And I'm going to say to him, please forgive me. Please forgive. And I'm thinking to myself in the natural man, me? I didn't do anything. I got tossed around. You're the problem. <laughs> so anyway, I did it. And I'm just telling you, I was almost shaking to do it out of fear, not wanting to be vulnerable or having to say I'm wrong. And I did it. And I never will forget, he's reactionary too. I mean, the old geezer's 101 next month. I mean, I think God said, Luke, I ain't taking you home yet. I'm not ready for you just yet. So he, you, you hang back a little bit. And I never forget, he got really soft. And he wanted to apologize. And I thought, well, this never happened before. And he got softer and softer. Then I invite, my wife will tell you, I invited him to come here. And I went around the world preaching to Australia, uh, South Africa, London, Amsterdam, and back. And I bought him a first-class ticket and took him all the way around. We had probably two, two and a half, three weeks together. We shared a room together. And I never had another thought about my father since then. None. So there's no, no hatred, no bitterness. Yeah. It, it, it's gone. I was with T.D. Jakes many, many years ago in South Africa, and uh, I was with him when somebody asked, how do you know if you've forgiven somebody? He says, when you remember it, it doesn't hurt anymore. I thought, that's pretty good. So every time it comes to your mind, you know, Father, in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive so-and-so. They hurt me, they divorced me, they cheated me, defrauded me, they betrayed me, whatever it was, then I forgive them. And at some point, it won't cross your mind again. It's gone. But it's for you. It's not for them. It's for you. If, if you walk out in an argument, particularly close relationship, you walk out, slam the door, you're sowing the seeds of divorce. That's bad, really bad. Now, that means there's not going to be much chance, if you keep that up, of reconciliation at all. Now, let's look at the next step in resolution and avoiding conflict. Number three, be the giver, not the taker. Be the giver, not the taker. Paul said, verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but work doing something useful with your hands that you may have something to share with people in need. I found that verse a little bit curious, didn't you? 
Of course you're not supposed to steal. I don't have to be a Christian to know that. That's one of the Ten Commandments. What kind of people attended church in Ephesus they needed to be reminded not to steal? Well, no doubt he's speaking literally, but he's also speaking metaphorically. He's talking about living life with the attitude says, I'm looking out for me, number one, above all else. I'm taking what I need as well as what I want, and I don't care what it costs anybody else because after all, it's all about me. That's another kind of theft and stealing. Some people build their entire career on that concept. What's the least I can do and draw a paycheck? What's the most I can expect for the least amount of effort? See, if that's your attitude, no wonder you'll be in conflict with coworkers. No wonder things will be tense with your overseer or supervisor because they can sense me first attitude in you. Some people take that same attitude into marriage. They're afraid at some point they might have to give more than 50%, 51%. Now, I'm not an expert on the institution of marriage, but I know this. There are times, dude, when you got to give 100% and they give nothing. And all the wives said, amen. Who came up with this 50-50 nonsense? That just, I hadn't found that to be true at all. Maybe it's 75-25. I don't know. Maybe it's 100 to nothing. But it happens. And it's the same in relationships with your children and your friends and your relationship with church family members. When your attitude becomes what can I give rather than what can I take, most petty conflicts will disappear. In the first New Testament letter Paul wrote, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, minding your own business, work with your own hands just as you should so that your daily life may win the respect of those outside the church and so you won't be dependent on anybody. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. So we create a lot of conflict for ourselves when we neglect to carry our own weight at work at home, in our friendships, and every other area. Others can sense our me-first attitude. We also create a lot of conflict for ourselves when we follow others around with a portable scale so we can make sure their output is even to everybody else's because we don't want anybody else to get away with doing less than their fair share. Now, obviously, if you're in a leadership position, there are times when you need to be sure everybody's pulling their own weight. Most of the time, it's best for us to follow Paul's advice. Mind your own business. If you're not part of the solution or the problem, it ain't none of your business. Stay out of it. Instead of nosing your way into what everybody else is doing, make sure you're carrying your own weight. Our attitude should be, I'm a giver, not a taker. So, of course, the scales will always be a little out of balance because I'm a giver. And that needs to be our attitude. Even Jesus talked about going the second mile when you don't have to and knock them out. See, if by chance you have to deal with somebody who's too much of a taker and the situation becomes serious so much so it has to be resolved, what do you do? Go back to square one, sit down, look them straight in the eye and speak the truth. And you look for ways to resolve the difference with integrity and without hateful words and hostility. You can terminate somebody from your employment or staff without hateful words or or conflict. You can soften that and speak truthfully but kindly. And that has to be done a number of times before you want to sever a relationship or a business associate. Let's look at the fourth step in resolving conflict. We should have learned this in kindergarten right? This is simple. Number four, make kindness and compassion the key word of the day every day. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, verse 32. Charles Swindoll talks about visiting a university president's office. He had a sign on the wall in his office, kindness spoken here. That ought to be for all of us, kindness spoken here. Powerful message, a powerful purpose to pursue in my relationship with others. Just be kind. You know, there should be an 11th commandment, be nice. Be nice, just compassionate. You don't have to fly off the handle, you can stay on the handle, and your relationships will be a lot better for it. Nobody wants to be around an angry man or an angry woman for that sake. Even, even the Bible said it'd be better for you to have a cup of water and a piece of bread on a roof in a corner somewhere and with a brawling woman. Sorry, girls, but that was just in the Bible. So apparently they had that problem. I don't know. You don't have to be snarky on Facebook and Twitter or even in real life. Even if the other person's wrong, you can still be kind and compassionate. That's important to do it. See, if it's really serious, you can resolve this conflict by going face-to-face, speaking the truth in love. See, if it's really serious, you can resolve the conflict. And they're not going to get away with anything, right? Yeah, and you can do it in a biblical way, speaking the truth in love and resolving the situation together, doing it quickly before the sun goes down on your anger, and you can do it in a kind way. You know, it helps me develop the attitude of kindness and compassion when something's been done to me, against me, or infuriates me. Verse 32, forgiving each other as Christ in God forgave you. None of us are in a position to throw the first stone, ever. When it comes to sin, we all bear the same stain. I don't care what your background, your race is, how much Bible you know, we all have to be forgiven by Jesus. Psalms 103, verse 3, He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 10. Not me, not you, not anybody. Psalms 130, verse 3, If the Lord should mark iniquity, who could stand? Nobody in the room, nobody watching online, we're all guilty. And if God could forgive me, if God could grant me grace when he could, I look back over my whole life and I thought, oh my God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy and grace. I could have done this. I could have made that choice. I could have gone here. You somehow intervened and guided me when I wasn't even seeking it. Thank you. Well, why can't I extend that to somebody else? See, some of you need to be better forgivers. I would rather err on the side of mercy than judgment because you reap what you sow, as Chrissy said. I, if I ever need mercy, I, I won't get it if I haven't sown it. And if you want God to show mercy to you, you be merciful towards others. Well, you don't deserve mercy for God's sake. You just give it, right? And God is that way with you. So when you've got conflict in others and they're in the wrong and it needs to be resolved, you approach the situation with the same kindness and compassion Jesus had and it, that he demonstrated when he saved you out of the miry clay. So my challenge is that every day you'll make this your key word. I'll be kind, I'll be compassionate to everybody I meet as much as possible. And it's not based on who they are, it's based on who you are. And those four interlocking steps will help all of us avoid a lot of conflict, and minimize more severe conflict. Speaking the truth in love, right? Dealing with anger and negative emotions before they get out of hand. 
being kind, being a giver and not a taker, carrying your own weight, minding your own business, treating others with kindness and compassion, forgiving as Christ forgave you. And maybe verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed to the day of redemption. He's talking about unity. And that's because God is grieved when we get petty with one another. God is grieved when we snark at one another. He's grieved when we put each other down. God is grieved when we adopt an an air of arrogance. He wants his people to live together peacefully. You know, I've got lots of friends, and I'm sure we could disagree on a lot of things, but we have so much in common and so many other attributes together. I don't care. Uh, Let me tell you something. When this election is over, 50% are going to be happy. 50% are going to be sad and mad, whichever way it goes. But let me tell you about us as believers and the kingdom, me as a minister. Nothing changes. I don't care who's in the White House. My mission is to preach the gospel, win people to Jesus, encourage people with hope, with forgiveness and mercy, cast vision, try to help the world be a better place, help the poor. If COVID is around, it, what changed? Nothing changes. My mission, God's mission in life hasn't changed. Of his kingdom, there shall be no end. There may be adjustments in how we do it, where we do it, uh, the technology we use to do it, but our mission doesn't change. Whoever's in the Supreme Court, whoever's in the White House, isn't making my mission different, not changing yours either. If you build houses, you still got to build houses. I don't care if a Republican's up there or a Democrat's up there. I wish some of you could chill. You know, God says in Daniel 2, he controls the times and the seasons. He puts up one leader, he pulls down another. You're not a victim. God is sovereign. He rules in the affairs of men. Yeah, and I hope you register to vote, of course. But my point is, I'm not a victim to whatever goes on there. I'm in a new kingdom with a new king and mighty power, and God is not going to fail. Come on. Don't be mean. Don't be angry. God's up to something. And I'm, I'm glad he is. But I, I, I hear so much negative talk, I don't even want to talk about it. You don't hear me talk about it. I want to build us up. I want us to be kind to one another. I don't want us to see each other, oh, that's a Hispanic brother there, or that's an African-American brother, or that's a Caucasian guy, or whatever. I, I, no, the Bible says we're just one. We're born again. We're a spiritual family. We got in this family not through a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. And it doesn't have any racial connotation. So would you knock it off? And don't get on there and tell everybody why they're wrong. It doesn't make you better. And it didn't change anything. I just refuse to do it. I see it. I don't take the bait. Just let it go. I just tweet positive, encouraging things about life or funny and stay with it. I want people to feel, oh, that was good. Several people said, you ought to write a book on your Twitters. Those are good. I don't do a lot of religious tweeting, and I don't do any political tweeting at all. I don't want to get in the broil. So I don't know if you're in it, but I'm not sure you're going to make, make it better. I try to see the best in everybody. I, I'm, I'm who I am today because of friends from other nations, other cultures, and other races. I always wanted a church colorful. I always wanted a church staff, board, worship team flavored with the different covers. I don't see one right, one wrong. We're just all different. That's all. But what do we all have in common? Jesus. That's all. Some of you like food I wouldn't walk on. Some of you wear different clothes. You like different music. You do different hairstyles. But what do we agree on? 
Jesus. That's it. Uh, that means I got to show mercy, kindness, forgiveness, be encouraging. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I imagine some of them voted differently, but he was a friend to them. He would always tell the truth, but he, he never was mean about it, right? I can be, I don't know why people pick on a certain moral group. They hate that group. They're wicked. And they admit all the rest of the immoral group. I had a guy from Houston call me and want to know, what do you do with homosexuals? I said, I'll let them sit with the fornicating singles. What do you do? <laughs> well, stupid. You, you, like you're going to pick out one group and leave everybody else alone. We're all sinners. We need mercy and forgiveness. We need transformation, right? Now, last verse, Romans 12, verse 18 says, if it's possible, it's not always, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace. You get peace in your heart, and it's a lot easier to live at peace with everybody else. When you walk in, you ought to bring peace, peace to your classroom, peace in your office, peace in relationships. Trouble ought to move out the back door when you come in. I have the Prince of Peace in my heart. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God. And therefore, nothing's going to offend me. I'm immune to it. And be that kind of a person. Not touchy, not easily offended. Laugh it off, shake it off. And if it hurts, confront somebody. We had one couple a couple of years ago that had been very faithful, very religious. I didn't know that. They would get CDs and share them with other people outside in the business world. And one day I made a statement in one of our early services, and I said about people arguing. I said, would you stop your, and the word I used started with a B. It wasn't beautiful. And the uh, second letter would have been an I. And that's as far as I'm going to go. But I said, would you stop your, and I said this word, just ran through it. They were so offended, they left the church. And I thought, you know, if you'd have come see me welcoming visitors and said, Rick, that offended me. That was a, that was a crude word. It wasn't profanity, but it was a crude word. And it really offended me. I would have apologized. I would say, I'm so sorry. My wife already told me about it. And I never did it in any of the other services. It was just off the hook. Well, let me tell you something, smarty pants. You get up here and do all the services on every subject, on every topic, and not say something you shouldn't have said. Is everybody going to leave in marriage, business? You're always going to do something out of line. Well, go to the person. Look them in the eye. Speak softly. Be kind, compassionate, tender mercy. And, and I, would have, I would have said, what do you want me to kneel down? I'm sorry. I, w I won't do it again. You're right. I was wrong. <clears throat> this is a place in this world where you, <clears throat> you can't be so touchy about one thing. Brian Houston told me he had the same thing at Hillsong. He, he used a word one time that wasn't ugly, but it was your rear end. And down there, they call this the bum, B-U-M. Yeah, now bum to us is somebody begging out there on the street somewhere, right? But it's a different word down there, and he used it and had two families leave. I thought, how? You think these people are going to soar in life? I don't think so. I, th th that's not the real world. We all do something we shouldn't have done, said something we shouldn't have said, and if it's offensive or if it's hurtful, confront. Because I tell you what, I do have, whether you believe it or not, a very tender heart, and I'll be the first to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Please forgive me.
I'll do my best not to do that again. But I'm sure somewhere down the road, I'll do something else. Please, just let me know. Tell me. Be gracious to me. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to improve. I'll do my best. Well, that's all any of us can do, right? Let's bow our heads together. You've been so gracious, and I think you get the point. Perfection's not the goal. Improvement is our goal. We can do a better job in our relationships, whether it's in the church or in marriage or with our children or with our best friends. We have to tell the truth sometimes, and truth hurts, so that's why you need to soften it as best that you can. And when you've done everything you can do, and the other person doesn't respond, you've done the, you have God's favor, God's blessing on your life. What they do is their problem, not yours. Peace. I declare peace over you in the name of Jesus. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.